0: Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today once again is our friend, freshly returned from mysterious travels, Fraser Brown. Hello. We also welcome back our visiting Warhammer scholar, freelance writer, Dan Griliopoulos. Hello. And, of course, with this gathering, there can only be one thing we're discussing, and that is... Uh, the latest entry in the Total War series, Total War Warhammer, uh, or Total Warhammer, uh, as everyone I think has been calling it for the past uh, few months.
1: Or so all... Total War Warhammer War.
0: Yeah, I, I like to think you know all the of all the Warhammers out there. This one's the totalist, I'd say. It's so definitely it the fits. most warriest. It, it very much is. But maybe uh, the hammiest as well. It's it's a little hammy. We've all uh, we've we've all had a little over a week with the game. And one of the things that's been interesting to me is that <laughs> I seem to see like every, like a lot of people have really different experiences and uh, reactions to this game. Uh, Dan, Dan, let's start with you because I know you have a bit more of a background in the tabletop games. Mm-hmm. and uh, you joined us, of course, for the um, retrospective on Shadow of the Horned Rat. And I'm not, I think this might actually be the closest thing we've seen to a Shadow of the Horned Rat successor in ages.
1: Yeah, it feels, um, like, a, it feels like a tribute to it. It feels like a, a best-hits version of Shadow of the Horned Rat without the uh, strong narrative background and the ridiculous difficulty that game had. Yeah, so talk us through, the, tr- through this a little bit, because I would definitely
0: say this is... Um, a little more Warhammer and a little less Total War than I was than I was initially expecting. And I find that a little gratifying, actually, but uh, talk us through a little bit how this game sort of uh, differs from what you might expect from a Total War game and embraces what makes Warhammer, Warhammer.
1: I guess there are four core things it's taken from Warhammer. So to clarify for people listening who have not played much Warhammer, Warhammer uh, is a ripoff of Tolkien. <laughs> and, me, and then Warhammer itself was ripped off by Warcraft. So you played World of Warcraft, you've got a bit of an idea of what War, Warhammer is, but Warhammer's a bit more British, a bit, a bit sillier. Um, anyway, so yeah, so Total War, it takes four things from Warhammer, I'd say, which are probably the magic system. So there's like crazy spells going off on the battlefields. So it takes giant monsters and flying creatures, uh, and it takes heavily asymmetric factions. So those are the kind of four big differences it's drawn from Warhammer. And the the you know the, the asymmetric factions a Total War's always had that but it's never had you know factions that pretty much don't want to move or factions that uh when they lose they just kind of raise all the dead bodies up again and, and start fighting yet again the next turn so it's uh it's it's completely unbalanced the game in that regard but it's um uh, yeah it's added an awful lot more charisma would you say
0: yeah, I, def- I definitely would, uh, and I, I think Charisma is an excellent way of putting it a- as well. Uh, it was a game that, while I was playing it, I was often wondering whether or not what I what I was seeing would actually meet any definition of like solid, good game balance uh, sometimes, but I was also having a reaction frequently where I, I just I didn't really care that much, because it, it's, I, I don't think, I never played the tabletop series, certainly, but I, I, I've always gotten the sense that one does not play Warhammer looking for
1: realistic, balanced military tactics games. I think that's probably fair. Um, I think Games Workshop realized that. Uh, last year, they killed off Warhammer. So Warhammer Fantasy Battles, which has been around for 20 or 30 years, which this game is based on, last year, they killed that off and turned it into Warhammer Age of Sigmar. And the difference between Age of Sigmar and Warhammer is Age of Sigmar is just like, you bring all the models you've got, and the other guy brings all the models he's got, and you just have fun. And Warhammer was you do a huge point space system more like total war, and it's all everything's trying to be very balanced and statistical and it becomes a lot more nerdy that's the tab- that was the, the tabletop system this is based on rather than the silly one, which is the new one
0: okay so so I'm, I'm a little um I didn't know that, that they'd sort of killed off the the old systems that mean basically the the fiction for that universe has reached its end as well
1: yeah, I think a lot of it was to do with that connection with um uh, Kind of Warcraft and Tolkien. They wanted, they wanted to make it so that they couldn't have their stuff ripped off again. I think that's a, a plausible interpretation of why they did it. Um, so they've changed the names of all the factions. The dwarves are called like Dwabi now, or and the orcs and goblins are called like Gravi or something. So they basically made it. So they've got copyrighted names of every faction.
2: They do use that language in Total War Warhammer as well. I noticed.
1: Yeah, they do. Yeah. So the dwarf, the dwarf definitely speaks in that kind of curmudgeonly northern. I at all those gravy. we kill them all. That's not a
2: big problem. I was meant to be. It's funny, though, that uh, one of the first things you mentioned was how asymmetric is, and it, it is. It's, it's brilliant, because each faction is so different and unique that it, it would be really hard to actually properly make them feel balanced. But I noticed that one of the strange things that differentiates it from other Total War games is that everyone kind of starts in the same position in that nobody starts off particularly strong you've maybe got a a region really um so like one to two maybe three settlements and that's it um and everyone just really starts off basically trying to um gather the disparate tribes that make up their race together um and it's sort of like it's, every beginning is all about expansion, whereas if you look at, say, Total War Attila, if you're playing as either of the Roman factions, um, like, for instance, the Western Roman Empire is the opposite of that. It's about consolidating um, and often getting rid of, of settlements because you just can't maintain them anymore um, and kind of pulling back and making yourself stronger in Italy. Um, whereas there's, there's not really any of that in Total War. You start small, you've got to get bigger, that's your main concern, so you can fight chaos when they eventually come south.
0: So to an extent, I, I think in recent Total War history, Fraser, that aspect of Attila's been an anomaly, uh, because yeah. really, I think, and, and this actually, I think, touches on some of the frustrations I had with, um, with Total Warhammer, uh, which perhaps weren't entirely fair, uh, they reflect maybe a little more of a long-standing frustration with the series rather than uh, necessarily the, the uh, sins of one game. But, you know, if you, if you think back to the, the early games in the series, starting positions could be very different. Uh, if you remember, like, medieval, the first medieval, for instance, um, you know, the, uh, the Byzantines... Had a huge starting position. They actually had an empire at the start of that game, and it was very mm-hmm. easy for them to snowball. Uh, and and so you had like people who started out powerful, and you had people who started out weak, and they were very different experiences. Uh, and and then I think because perhaps because of shortcomings with the AI's ability to play just about any Total War post Rome, um, they've they've I think generally trended towards starting people on one or two territories and sort of equalizing playable factions at the start, which can be weird at times, right? Like Empire Total War started with this this version of, like, Prussia that was, like, you know, this tiny little statelet. Uh, so was Austria. Um, Attila, I think, a- actually sort of broke from the recent mold by saying, no, there's, there's massive asymmetries in the starting locations. Rome is Rome. Um, I think a lot of the barbarian factions did have uh, sort of standard starts, and then the, uh, you know, Huns behaved completely differently. But you had, you had that asymmetry. And I, I think the frustration for me coming into uh, to Total Warhammer a little bit was that, I think it really centered on on one faction in particular. I was kind of disappointed in how the Empire behaved. Mm. Because, like, in the fiction, and the game's even telling you this kind of, like, the Empire really is basically the Holy Roman Empire, right? It's, it's, it's sort of a Holy Roman Empire in decline. Um, there is a central authority, but it's weak, and there's a lot of restive nobles and such. But the way that translates in the game is, oh, uh, you're the emperor, but you have the same starting position as everyone else, and not really even a unique diplomatic situation uh, with regard to the other human powers. And that bothered me just a little bit, because it started to make everyone's early game feel identical and everyone's trans- transition to the mid-game feel a bit identical.
2: I mean, it and- is identical. I don't think it just feels it. I think it's absolutely identical. Having played every faction on various difficulties, um, I feel like I'm doing... Even though each faction have their own unique abilities, unique powers, um, they do all kind of feel like they're going through the same... kind of. It's at the same pace, the same kind of beats, and it's just... Um, it just feels very samey, even with all of this extra kind of flavour. Yeah, once you've got used to
1: those asymmetries that the faction does, once you've got used to how you acquire territory or not in the Chaos
2: case, which, I has anyone played that yet? I have not gotten a chance. No, because um, the, the review, my review copy was had no Chaos or anything like that. So yeah, but apart,
1: apart from them, everybody, as you say, you just got to find a way of getting yourself into acquiring territory. That's all it's about, really. And, yeah, it doesn't change between factions. Once you've established your mechanic for doing that, whether it's the dwarves just kind of sitting there and absorbing damage and then gradually rolling out, or it's the vampires just kind of corrupting neighbouring territories and then kind of expanding into them when no one's looking. um, Yeah, it it does all... You're right, it does feel the same.
2: I agree that it's most disappointing with the Empire, though, because the actual in-game description of of the Empire mentions that it's made up of these kind of... um, Electors, and they are all part of the empire, but the emperor only has like a tenuous control over them. Well, no, he has no control over them.
1: It's the same as the Holy Roman Empire. Um, you know, the, the person gets newly elected if they're elected, and it's an unpopular election. If it's a divided election, then it's supposedly in the empire. Then no one has to pay attention. Everyone, everyone's kind of an independent baron, really. So yeah. that's the same in the fiction, the same in in the historical Holy Roman Empire to a degree until people started stamping down on the independence of people like Frederick the Great.
2: But it made it very unusual th- that they didn't create a sort of actual politics system, because there have they've, been politics systems and family systems in Total Wars before. In um, generally but, they haven't worked brilliantly. No, although I would say that the family, the kind of uh, dynastic stuff in Attila was definitely on the right track. Yes. Um I think there it needed a bit more but what was actually there was genuinely quite good um and added a little bit of campaign variety um whereas there's the little things that they add to Warhammer they don't always go far enough for instance there's the sort of idea of a government in the empire where you can put lords and heroes in certain positions but let's Let's not be around the bush here. These are just bonuses that yep. they get. Um, there's no actual sort of backstabbing or intrigue going on, um, which was a bit of a shame because when you've got like, the Holy Roman Empire essentially, you'd expect a bit of that.
0: Yeah, I definitely was hoping for a little bit more of this feeling of being in charge of an unwieldy coalition, and there's sort of there, there's some nods to it, like one of the key things that any faction can do is invite um, similar powers to join the Confederation. And that's uh, that's an interesting and novel new way to be able to increase territory in a total war game, which has historically always been, like, you can have a really ineffective ally or a really ineffective vassal, uh, but there was there's no way really to sort of peacefully add to your holdings. Uh, here you can, though I found it pretty, like, once I once I realized it was there, I, I found it a pretty simple thing to use mechanically. Right, you just sort of wait for your power to spike up, uh, and then you sort of go around to who you're friendly with and see who's who's willing to make this happen. Um, but at least at, at least there was a, a nod to this idea that uh, it's not just this. Um, every every dwarf every vampire for himself world. Uh, it's it's a little bit more of a place where where there can be common interests. But I was just hoping for a little bit more, at least the empire in in, in terms of politics. Um, I do think like when we when we say the early game is is very similar, like it's like literally identical. Though that's that's the that's the crazy thing is like every single faction you start you start with a rebel army of your same faction. Uh, within one day's march of your main army, uh, and then you start with a local province you have to conquer and consolidate, and then the game roughly begins. But like every faction plays out this way, um, and I, I that that did bother me just a little bit. I, I I started to feel like the the early into mid game was could be a real slog, um, and I guess. Might as well dive into this now. Uh, I think some of my issues were economic, but Fraser, I read your review, and you seem to have economic issues that were 180 yeah, degrees more.
2: Yeah, because I've, I've read your review as well, Rob, and um, it was interesting because you are talking about not being able to, to really field many armies and that your just economy always felt quite weak, whereas I felt that mine was always too strong, and uh, there was always this kind of whenever you gauge, engage in diplomacy in Warhammer, it feels like you're cheating because the diplomacy system is, is, I genuinely would actually go so far to say as the diplomacy system is outright broken um, and buggy. I don't think they are actually bugs, but it feel, it, it's so crap that it feels like that. Um, for instance, and it's the example I use in the review, as, as the dwarfs, your um, other dwarf factions all generally love you. Um, It's not like in the empire where maybe they don't really like having this emperor. The dwarfs are all pretty much mates. And so they will be like, I'm going to war against the vampire counts. I'm going to war against this tribe of orcs or the greenskins. Join this war and we'll give you a ton of money. So I would join the war. And then I would do nothing because I had my own stuff to worry about. And it's quite a big map. Um, And within a couple of turns... The enemies would be like hey can you like leave this war that you've not participated in here's some money so i'd say yeah so suddenly i've got money twice a lot of it for doing nothing and this cycle would just continue it would be a loop and there would and at no point would my enemies ever be like hang on This guy's not fighting. This guy's not a threat. This guy's just taking our money, and neither would my so-called allies or my friends. Uh, So I just keep getting money without actually having to do anything. So even if I wasn't necessarily raking it in all the time through buildings, although I think with the dwarfs they have a lot of economic buildings, a lot of they've got a strong trade system as well compared to others. I I think they're. Can the orcs even trade at all? I can't even remember, I don't think they can or they've at least certainly it's weak and they don't have very many economic buildings um, but it, basically I could just exploit the game to get all the money I wanted so I actually had to stop using diplomacy entirely with the dwarfs because it just made the game too easy Yeah,
1: I was playing as the vampires and the vampires have a thing where the more armies you have, the, it multiplies your upkeep mm-hmm. so you can only really oh, scale differently it scales differently. So, and also, vampire armies tend to be a lot weaker than other armies. You tend to need a couple of stacks to take a, a vampire army to take down one chaos army, for example. Yeah,
2: but they don't—they don't flee. They—they they don't have uh, morale issues because they just grow weaker and weaker until the unit's wiped out, basically. Yeah.
1: So yeah, so I—I I, for them, I had it would be if I was under attack, I'd suddenly have money issues because I'd have to raise another army, and then that would be the multiplier would kick in, and I—I'd I'd be having trouble, but. Most of the time with them, they're they're two provinces. They're kind of western and eastern Sylvania. Um, uh, they just seem they seem to produce huge amounts of money. And I spent most of I spent I think I spent 50 turns just turtling, building up those 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 provinces the first time I played. So I never had a money problem after that. So yeah, but I think it's a it's just a problem with. Again, the game's balanced. It just doesn't know how to restrict your your money supply, unless except by having you randomly attacked by AI factions.
0: Well, uh, you know, I was talking I was talking about this with uh, with with Rowan Kaiser online, uh, like after my review was published, and you know, he was arguing that all the good romes have actually restricted your economy, which is uh, true up to a point. But I, but I think for me, like my fundamental problem is. I would really like it if, at a certain point, you could get back to a system where the AI can manage the economy as well as you can uh, on a fair basis, and you can get back to what you'd see a little more in earlier Total War games, where like you'd have multiple, like you know, first line armies, and so would they, and you'd have these huge clashes of like pretty advanced units and pretty advanced armies uh, on a regular basis. And and here I kind of feel like it's. Um, it's designed to really, really weigh you down with upkeep while the AI sort of seems to get bonuses in, as far as its ability to maintain armies. Or at least because of the way background income works, everyone can always field at least one huge army uh, and, and pretty much churn that out overnight. So it's very hard to get momentum going in a war. Uh, I, I found at least, and and most of this is centered on the early into mid game, and so like my my issues, Fraser, and and, and like I'm starting to see what you're talking about now that I have sort of swallowed my pride and I turned down the difficulty uh, to uh, I think normal or or hard. Um, my early games were uh, like on on very hard, and. The issue I was having those in, in those early games, particularly as the dwarves, was I was getting so swarmed by enemies. And you're right, Fraser. Like, people kept inviting me into wars, and I kept agreeing. But then somehow those wars would find their way to my door. <laughs> like I would have work tribes show up. And the thing is, like, there was so much space to cover that I would have needed at least two major armies to secure it. And the moment I had two reasonably sized army, my economy was just strangled. I had, there was no money at all. Uh, and what the, the income I was seeing from buildings was paltry. Like, building income was like 200 uh for, you know, f- for, you know, for, for a standard income building. And that's basically the upkeep of one good unit.
2: What faction was this? This is dwarves. Were- this was the dwarfs, Cause, but the dwarfs also, they're upgraded income buildings, and the ib are very good, and there are many of them. I
0: was having difficulty um, getting the capital to make those upgrades, because I was right. getting so swarmed that my settlements were getting sacked all the time, which knocks them down a tier. Yeah. So I kept having to rebuild, uh, and then, like so, and, and be, like so I was always at war with a bunch of people. And that created this horrible death spiral, because I was so busy just trying to stay alive that I wasn't retaking territory. I wasn't going out like hunting down generals who'd like beaten dwarven armies. So the grudge thing got out of hand. And, and this is something I do love about this game. Every faction has sort of its own strategic directives that it has to follow, uh, and most of them are pretty pretty sensible. I think the I think in particular the uh, the empire. And the vampire counts pretty much follow a basic, like, total war, you know, just play strategically, bide your time, that kind of thing. The dwarves, um, (laughs) I love this so much, they keep a book of their grudges. And they write that every time you lose a city or every time you lose a battle, there's an entry in your book of grudges. And you need to go pay that off. You need to go find the people who, who, like, humiliated you. Kick their asses, and only then will like dwarven honor be satisfied. And if you don't do that, there's increasing like public order penalties, and other dwarven factions even start to look at you like you're not a real dwarf, you're a crap dwarf. So, uh, but I end up in this horrible situation where I was so I was so busy just trying to like hold hold my starting area plus uh, keep a foothold in the river valley. Um, like between the Empire and Dwarven and Orcish lands, Uh, I was so busy trying to do that that I was constantly having cities sacked. I was constantly having other Dwarf factions starting to turn against me because I didn't have the respect. Public order was in the crapper because you know, like I wasn't, I wasn't dealing with the grudges. So I basically ended up in a situation where like if I just could have fielded more armies, I could have gotten something done. But I was under such constant attack from the humans, uh from the orcs, and then eventually even from some other dwarves that I just could not I could not get the the economy standing. Uh and that basically killed me. Now since then, I have started to see a little bit like now that I'm like now I'm playing a game as the Empire Fraser, and every turn I'm sort of making the rounds on diplomacy because you kind of have to. You have to check in with people, either improve your relationship or threaten someone. Or but every turn I'm kind of going in there and managing diplomacy. And you're right, there's there's some decent income uh, you can get in there. Uh, sometimes it's more profitable
2: to fight an indecisive war. You really and, need to start like raiding and 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 sacking and looting. That's the thing. I mean, That's... I felt that it was really easy to do that as the Greenskins because it's all—it's like part of their whole thing. They're very much focused on that. My Greenskin economy is, um, incredible. Um, I mean, I'm getting decent money kind of every turn just normally, but through like uh, sacking cities and through looting it's just absurd um and that through that i can actually field a a great number of of armies and also they have their whole fighty system um where at a certain point of fightiness they generate ai controlled um extra armies yeah um they're not they're kind of ai they're just not they're, they're, they're kind of AI, kind of manually controlled. It's weird, like you set targets for them basically and then they go and do that in a sort of auto-resolve battle. Um, so they're kind of better for taking on not very well defended cities or just being used as cannon fodder before you take them on a much larger army. But they're very handy. Um, I find that was by far the easiest uh, of all the factions to play as the Greenskins.
0: I think I definitely had a slightly easier time to start with as the Greenskins, because I think it did force me to understand the game better than the Dwarves did. The Dwarves had probably been too conservative, and just trying to do what I always do in Total War games, which is kind of turtle up and then expand. Uh, With the Greenskins, because you always have to be fighting or your armies suffer attrition, Uh, which is a really interesting thing, like, the Greenskins can't actually be at peace, and they can't really consolidate, you need to have someone nearby That you can go beat up on to keep your soldiers happy. Uh, With that pressure, I definitely did embrace maybe more of the total Warhammer economic mechanics a little more. Like suddenly I was sacking a lot more cities and getting like 3,000 gold, 4,000 gold a pop, uh, which is a huge amount of money, right? Like just massive injections of cash. Uh, which allowed me to build up very quickly and kind of ignore upkeep uh, to an extent. Like my income didn't really matter that much because I could always just go out and raise like you know three turns worth of income uh, in in a single attack. So I definitely started to to grok the system a little more with the uh, w- with the orcs. Uh, I, I so I, I think like in terms of my issues with the economy, I guess I was a little frustrated that it behaves so unlike a Total War game, and to an extent, like, it kind of felt like there wasn't much interesting stuff to do with empire management. Like, if you played, like, Age of Charlemagne, for instance, uh, for for Attila, you always had to be thinking about how you were sort of specializing a province, and then how that would interact with its neighboring provinces, which I thought was a fascinating wrinkle. And here, it's all very much just, like, single-track, settlements right like it can be like you know what i mean like just building chains don't interact in interesting ways it's just kind of like do you want it to be economic do you want it to be military do you want it to be a bonus building uh like what do you want to do here and i was was kind of looking for a little a little bit more from empire management that could then translate into strategic opportunities and and really it all seemed to point me towards just go beat up on people and steal their money So, so Dan, what, what, did, what did you make, make of the economy? I saw that you, you said you had some, some slogging issues as well uh, with that game. I'm curious where, where your strategic dis- dissatisfaction started to, started I, to
1: crop I up. I think it was just the mid-game where, even on a short campaign, I, was, I felt like I'd hit the point where I'd seen all of the enemy units. Every army seemed to be comp- every army had every type of unit in it. They were all max, uh, they were all full, full flag armies so of 20 units in every army I was fighting. And I defeated the Chaos Incursion and killed the guy who you were meant to kill. So I was on the way to the short campaign thing. Then it said, "Yeah, you've got to get seven provinces." And I was looking at the map, going, "Oh God, okay, really? I've got to just plump plump my way across this landscape and just grab as many of these territories as I can." Okay, I can do that. But I've had the interesting bit here. I've done the quests. I've done the, you know, I've, I've tried every unit out in battle. So I'm not, I'm not getting anything from this anymore. Um, so I, I think for me, probably as a vampires, maybe I found it just too easy at that point. I was like, no one's attacking. The, the dwarves hated me. They absolutely loathed me. But for some reason, they never attacked me for the whole game. And I couldn't work out why. Um, it's tough for dwarves to get out. I think probably it was down to the greenskins were just attacking them. And so I saw occasional armies coming up to the vampire areas and then just walking through them to attack the dwarves. And the same thing, the dwarves going the other way. And these guys suffering terrifying attrition on the way through because the vampire corruption thing does them in. So no one ever attacked me.
2: The AI has no ability to deal with being at war with multiple factions, uh, which is also why the great threat of chaos is actually a bit impotent. Um, it Like when you actually like see them come and they're just raising every city, it is terrifying. But the fact is you can kind of just ignore them and then they'll go and maybe fight another faction and then you can just go and pick them off. Um, and it's
1: for the Vampires, they the Vampires start really near where Chaos come in, Yeah. so they're basically bordering Kislev, and Kislev is a place that gets wiped off the face of the earth as soon as the, as the Chaos guys turn up. So the Vampires are kind of like, you kind of want to build and expand, but you don't want to be at war with the Empire, because the Empire of the guys are going to have to fight off Chaos as well. Yeah. You don't want to go too deep into them until you've dealt with Chaos. So you're kind of waiting for the game, for that, that main
2: storyline of the game to end before you actually start taking over the world. And yet that's where it stops being interesting as well, once Chaos are off the map.
0: Oh, so I thought it was, uh,
2: like, so, like, Chaos really has one good shot? Mm-hmm. I mean, well, what could happen is if you defeat the the wave of Chaos, um, they can then just kind of hibernate and come back. But if, if you defeat their leader and their armies and they've got no more settlements left, that's them. They're oh, done. Okay. Um, you
1: might end up with a few, like... Crucially, either. Then, they're, they're basically, as long as the leader's still around, they'll keep generating armies from the north, which just keep coming down. But once that leader's gone, the army stop coming. So It's
2: like, oh, unlike okay. other factions, like, you're actually kind of killing him, whereas with other leaders, like, you get, they get wounded, and then they come back in, like, five turns or something.
0: You know, so, you know, I, I started to see some of the slog issues that, that you mentioned, um, but... I, I think now as we sort of turn to maybe the tactical game a little bit more, this is where I really, really liked this game, and I'm still having a great deal of fun. Like, I'm not done with this game, right? Like, even though I've, I've started to feel like it's getting a little repetitive, I'm still actually having a pretty terrific time uh, playing this game. And I, I think part of that is this game does such a good job of being unbalanced and all the right ways. Like, elite dwarven soldiers should feel like unkilling, unkillable wrecking balls when they're fighting the orcs, right? They hate orcs. They're really good at killing orcs. And they're, they're like, you know, ancient dwarves covered in, like, top-class you know, top armor. And so one thing I love in this game is just you'll see these clashes between, like, basically super units. And sometimes they have, like, unique effects against you know, their, their chosen enemy. And I just love like watching how these forces interact. And it feels so thematically satisfying to be standing there like as a dwarven general and you're holding your long beards back. You know, and you're 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 and and finally the, the orcs have hit the line and they've committed to the battle and then you send your <laughs> you send your heavy beards in and they just start like, you know, wrecking house basically. And it's it's wild that you can see it. You can see it happen. You can see the, the orcish line just start to crumble uh, as these guys literally start carving out a swath uh, in the middle of the like green skin formations. And it's more dramatic than I'm used to seeing in a total war game. But it feels so right for Warhammer and stuff like that is happening like every battle.
2: Yeah, and you've got the, the giant units when they actually start moving through the mass of enemies they are just swiping and just destroying everything and you're seeing little guys going flying and it it doesn't it doesn't seem like a kind of regular total war game where you kind of you're looking at bars almost you're looking at the morale and stuff like you but you're actually seeing people just getting properly slaughtered yes. in 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 warhammer um, and then you have all these other interesting considerations For instance, like, if you're in a siege, you know, back in in previous Total Wars, it was like, okay, you've got your siege equipment, you're putting your men up ladders, and and you've got all that. But at the same time, you've got giant bloody dragon bats and stuff like that that you're sending over the walls, and so you don't always really have to worry about that. You're getting into these fortresses and cities a lot faster. There's not, like, a five-minute kind of preparation bit where you're just watching your guys getting the ladders to the walls and the towers slowly moving up there.
1: Yeah, it's much quicker. Sieges are much better. I mean, the sieges in, in vanilla Rome 2 were absolutely terrible. Um, yeah, Buggy as hell. You could hardly get your men onto the walls. Um, so it's good they fixed all that. And you're right. I mean, as a vampire, I, just, I don't have any ranged units. So I just had to yeah. run everybody for the walls and then all the flying units would
2: land and open the gates. And you get you get flying units like straight away with the vampires as well. I think they're the only faction that has immediate flying units, which is the the giant bats.
1: But you need them to deal with artillery, basically. Every time yeah. you get into a battle, all you're doing is holding your flying units back and waiting and seeing if the guy's got any cannons or any rock throwers or whatever. And just I I like that that there's like every race has these like huge
0: Achilles heels. Like as the dwarves, a lot of times you just have to stand there. Under Archer fire and just take it uh, because if you give in and say like no, clear, like chase these guys off, uh, your line will be scattered, and you're've got no will break cavalry up. yeah you can't you cannot run anyone down as the Dwarves you literally like you just have to stand there and absorb punishment until they come within melee range, and then you then you own them, uh, but you don't have the ability to sort of you, 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 like I don't want to call it them abusive tactics, but I've definitely abused them, so maybe. Uh, like in every Total War game, right, you sort of hold your cavalry back, your heavy cavalry back, and then you once everyone, in the enemy committed, you'd sort of go and chase off all their archers and ranged units. You know, you'd send them back there, cavalry would slaughter them, and then you'd turn your attention to the remaining melee troops and, and sort of mop up from there. Uh, as the dwarves, that strategy is completely off the tables now. Uh, it just It just doesn't work. And being forced to rethink my tactics that way was was kind of cool uh and sort of trying to figure out how to solve the problem of dealing with um with like heavy skirmishing right was was an, was an interesting new wrinkle to be dealing with
2: but what i thought was kind of interesting and and dan i'm, I'm not sure if it's the same in uh, the new kind of age of sigmar thing but i was surprised to find how rangy the dwarfs were um they're they've always been pretty rangy that's yeah that's,
1: to be fair it's a, uh, i yeah again on the table on the tabletop i used to play undead chaos and dwarves and dwarves you just the same thing as rob saying you just sit there and you hold back because there's very few units in the game that can do lots of damage to you quickly quickly enough that you yeah. need to worry about them and then you just have cannons and you know organ guns and Uh, and your heroes, which is something we should talk about in a minute. But yeah, you have all of these units are just there to take damage and hope that the the enemy breaks or dies before you do because you're pouring so much gunfire into them.
2: Because so I was surprised by how tough they were. Um, so I've, I've played as, as the dwarfs, but when I was playing as the greenskins and I remember I'm like, finally, I've got cavalry. Now we can chase these stumpy guys down. And I, I, um, I charged my cavalry into a bunch of, of crossbow dwarfs and just left them to it and then looked again. And I'm like, holy shit, their morale's breaking. Um, and the, the crossbow dwarfs were still there and they've got like shields as well. Um, and they're just like standing. Uh, you know, holding the line. And I'm like, wait, these are meant to be little bloody archers. Shouldn't they be fleeing at the first sign of cavalry? They're um,
1: the, the, the quarrelers, it says on their description it, that, yeah. that they're decent melee opponents. So basically, yeah. they're just dwarves with crossbows. They're not yeah. any worse than the normal dwarf unit. which is, The normal dwarf unit is pretty tough, which is why they're so expensive.
2: So you really don't need to... With the dwarfs, with the quarrels, you don't need to really use like the skirmish mode where they're f- kind of moving back every time they see an enemy, because actually they are just as devastating in close quarters as they are at range, yeah. and um, especially if not
0: more. If they can rank up a couple times in veterancy, oh yeah, um, and they and I found the quarrelers actually did better in veterancy than most of my other units because they weren't dealing with all the frontline attrition. So my quarrelers were, like, leveling twice for every one level my melee troops were picking up. So, like, by the middle of my dwarf game, like, the quarrelers were just, like, this, this horrifying double threat. Like, anything that came within range, they were just picking guys off. It was, like, formations full of snipers. Like, you'd see orc archers or goblin archers come into range and like a few volleys and they just be they'd be they'd be cut to ribbons uh and then you know if i had holes opening up in the line i could just sort of go into melee mode and send the quarrelers in to to plug the gaps and they would do pretty damn well uh so it was yeah they're, they're a hell of a unit
2: it feels me even more natural when you've got the great weapon quarrelers because there's a building that you can construct with the with the dwarfs that basically just gives you you can create slightly more expensive versions of old units but they have great weapons um as an in size rather than that they're just awesome weapons um so the the great weapon quarrelers are throwing just giant bloody broad axes and, and it's just insane and it's so dwarfish as well uh they are just throwing axes at their enemies um, and those are
0: the great weapons are armor piercing or do they also have a bonus against larger units i think they're yeah. armor
1: piercing and they, yep. and they do more damage in general as well but i think they're designed for attacking i think they're like they, they, aren't the great weapons on the quarrelers are they not doesn't mean they have double double-handed axes in general instead of having axe and shield
2: yeah, because I don't think they have, they don't ha- yeah, they don't have the shields. They always have to give up the shields. So if you've got, like, the, the long beards, they don't have shields either if they're great weapons.
1: Yeah, it's, um, the dwarves are pretty tough. I mean, the vampires have a weir- the weird system where you don't get as much veterancy with them because you, you don't care if they die so much. You know, you, you elite units you keep, but the kind of rank and file skeletons and zombies. Well, you can just raise, you can raise normally about five units of them every turn for not much money. I think zombies only cost
2: like fifty or hundred spirits. <laughs> but zombies are like garbage tier cannon fodder. Like absolute they, they, they just to slow down the
1: enemy. Really, um, yeah. that's it. And they just that's why you end up with vamp, vampire armies that are two armies rather than one army because you've got a stack full of useless zombies. Um, <laughs> Did, but yeah, but they, they also have a, a horrifying thing when they win a battle. They all the casualties of that battle. If it's above a certain number, if it was a particularly horrifying battle, you get a little ma- ma- icon on the map appears, and then you get to raise like crazy top tier level units in that area as well. So there's been points when I conquered areas, and I was like, well, now I don't need to defend this area particularly because I can just recruit a lord and then raise a twenty stack army with top tier units in it immediately. Want like you're
2: getting like is it terror geists are called, which is
1: the terror geists kind of... and black knights, which are like with
2: lances and barding, which are kind of basically mobile tanks. It's crazy that's resurrecting that. I mean, you're like, where did they come from? Like, what's making these things? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess they just so. Does it only work for battles that you fought, or can you go in nope. in the wake of someone else's it's battle? It's the
2: site of a battle. Um, and okay. so you can do it straight after yours or you can go to a place where it's the site of an epic battle. And it will tell you if it's like an area, I nice. believe, where there's been a big battle fought.
1: I think I had a I had a situation when the, when Chaos first came down. They first attacked me. I had one settlement that was the far north of my area and I'd ignored it. But I built up all its walls and all that stuff. It had a big garrison. But um, two Chaos armies came to it when one of which was led by one of their special characters. who's was like a, a a lord of change, a greater demon of signatures insanely powerful wizard monster thing that looks like a giant bird. Um, oh, it's terrifying, that one, yeah. And that they just both turned up next to it to This because I hadn't been scouting enough that direction. They just turned up next to my settlement. I was like, ah. And I managed to recruit a necromancer and then raise, because there'd been a huge battle there, which I don't think I'd been involved in, I just had a full stack of army there and I managed to defend against them, despite the fact I hadn't even bothered looking out for oh that's kind of awesome though i love that that sounds that sounds perfect <laughs> if you've got enough money that per- it's perfect yeah and the and the vampires seem to have a lot of money so
2: or magic or whatever it's called they've got like a magical currency It behaves uh... exactly
1: like currency oh
0: it's
2: exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah it's
1: yeah. it's a, it's reskin money <laughs> but it's like got a kind of purple aura and to the um, to the dwarves every <laughs> turn to stop to make them go away um, until the point where they were actually like looking f- towards me. Did, uh, you know how every fraction has animosity. Yeah. The basic they're all racists. They're terrible racists. So they all look at the dwarves, look at the, the vampires and go, well, we would we start with a minus forty to friendship because you're disgusting. But you can you can pay that away with apparently souls. You can pay souls to dwarves and they, they like you.
0: Nothing says we're not disgusting like paying someone in souls.
1: Yeah. Very dark soulsy.
0: Yeah, I, I actually love the uh that's, that's, that sounds fantastic I hadn't the, I played the vampire counts the least uh so i'm I'm very excited to hear about like mechanics like that because mostly what I was able to produce was was kind of garbage tier units zombies skeletons that kind of thing and I was basically just trying to erode enemy formations <laughs> rather than rather, rather than sort of out out fight them um which was an interesting it, it, like commanding those armies seemed different. Uh, to me, it seemed a little bit more like, um, oh, ages ago, like, a listener recommended this, uh, the, this piece, and I need, to, I need to find it again. Uh, but basically, it was this, uh, it was this story from, I, I think it was someone who used to run, like, war games for the military. Uh, and he was talking about how he'd always observed in, like, 20 years of, like, watching professional war games that uh, Warsaw Pact, like, Soviet tactics tended to win and he and this actually would hold true in hobby games as well and he was trying to figure out like why did why were they so successful and his theory was that uh Warsaw Pact armies were sort of designed to operate without the without necessarily amazing training at lower levels they were sort of brute force weapons and what this what this writer had observed was that uh, one reason a lot of people tended to succeed with them in war games was that uh, Warsaw a a, a Warsaw Pact army was mechanically designed to force you to basically uh, use simple, crude, brute force tactics, and who they were playing against would had had to like use a little more finesse, had to think a little bit more about combined arms and really like amplifying their advantages. And unless you were really, really good, that wouldn't work. Eventually, the, the, the brute force method would, would sort of carry the day. And the, and, the, and the Vampire Lords here actually got me thinking about that because so much of their tactics just seemed to be like, use these guys, use these units not as like effective attackers, but just to pin someone down. Just get in their faces. Don't let them do the thing they want to do. Don't let them maneuver. Don't let them take advantage of their faction strengths. Just hold them down with this like mob of bodies. And then let your handful of good units get in and start doing the real work, which I thought was an interesting twist on on what I'm used to seeing and felt very asymmetrical in ways I'm not used to seeing in in Total War, where where I feel a lot of times armies can feel a little bit like reskins of each other.
2: The greenskins can do that as well, because they've got the goblin units that actually have a, a little tag that says expendable. Um, And they are just, they've got like poor leadership and they're just rubbish, but you can just fill an army up with them really quickly. Um, And it kind of doesn't matter if they all get wiped out, which is actually quite rare. They'll often like flee before that um, because they have such low leadership. Uh, So even if you don't win, you come out and you've still got most of those units left. um, And so like wait a couple of turns and then just keep doing that. And you just keep them in that position, stopping the enemy from really being able to progress
1: in that their magic is mainly, as far as I can tell, about buffing and debuffing units. Yeah. So you base, you can send a really crap unit in, and then you cast, I think it's Van Hell's Dance Macabre on them, um, and they suddenly get a huge bonus of speed and melee attack, and so even a terrible unit can take out a good unit because they're magically augmented, and you can debuff the enemy units the same way. So rather than, I think, the Empire spells, like Balthasar Gelt spells, are all about direct damage, crazy amounts of direct damage, the vampire ones are mainly about making your units better and making enemy units worse and just winning battles by changing those odds.
0: I hadn't used the magic system too much because the farthest I'd gotten was with a, in a dwarf campaign and dwarves have, like, zero access to magic. Um, there there were a couple, like, limited... Use, like, I'm not entirely... Like, they definitely had spell-like things, but I think they were driven by other mechanics, uh, like things that you could have in your inventory or entourage, uh, like powers that you could unlock, but they weren't necessarily like spells, spells. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about the heroes and the magic because I definitely loved what the heroes add to the game. And I'm interested to hear what you guys experienced with, with uh, your more magic centered uh,
1: armies. Yeah, well, I mean, for, for me, the heroes, the vampires have very strong heroes, and most of the time their units are pretty poor and slow. And also, for vampire armies, hero, their lord dies. The army just kind of collapses. So you have to be very careful about how you send your lord in. But heroes in general in the game are, same as in the tabletop game, they're tremendously overpowered. <coughs> Some of the top-tier heroes, like Archaon, who's the Chaos guy, can just take out entire units by themselves. Or I think he's um, the Black Orc uh, Grimgor. Again, he's just a, a machine for just destroying infantry. Um, so they just plough through enemy units, and they, get, they all, as they level up, they unlock all these abilities, and the wizards unlock spells, and the spells are reliant on the Winds of Magic, and the Winds of Magic I just didn't understand. I mean... I had trouble grokking that. It's just, it seemed... It basically said in certain regions, at certain times, that the Winds of Magic were different amounts, but you also had a power reserve for each individual hero... And each individual hero might also have abilities which let them bump up the power reserve and bump up the power recharge rate. <laughs> so you get to the good point, you cast a spell in battle and you're, not, you're never sure when you're going to be able to cast another spell again. Which is not very useful if you've got a, you've got a wizard and he's no good in combat, he's just standing there. And he's your lord. Yeah. Uh, like, like the Necromancers have and like the Empire have with Balsar Geld.
2: But the way they grow is just, it's so fun to see them develop um, because there's this, it's not only just getting new abilities and spells, but they're, they have their quest chains which give them special uh, armor and weapons. And also as they um, get higher and higher levels, they get special mounts as well. So eventually you're fielding lords that aren't just walking with the troops, but flying on like pegasi or giant bat monsters or demonic flying horses and god knows what else and it's just it just feels a lot more epic than any other total war game has when you're when your general or your lord in this case isn't just a guy with some really good bodyguards that can maybe stop the morale wavering too much but is actually like this force of destruction swooping down and just taking out entire, uh, like, stacks of units in a battle. It's absurd. When you look at the number of kills that they've got at the end, they they, they outrank any other unit um, in destructive capabilities. It's brilliant.
0: No, I, I'm pretty sure I've seen, like, Carl Franz, like, take out entire regiments by himself. Just, yeah. just walk in and just go to work. And it's, again, like ridiculous but but kind of awesome given that this is this is warhammer uh and i like that you have so many different types of of heroes that the way you can develop like i hated what they'd done to general development in attila because they limited your options so much that like it kind of felt like generals kind of had a very narrow track that they had to follow and Whatever type of general you had, whatever class he was, that's kind of all he was good for, and you couldn't really like create like do something else with him. Here, I really like that most heroes and generals have uh, most heroes and lords have a few tracks that they can that they can pursue as they level up. Uh, which can really change what they're useful for, right? Like you can have the same hero can either be a really useful like public order enforcer, uh, going around sort of inspiring people, or he can be draining public order in another province, or you could say to hell with that. Like I'm going to make him an assassin or a uh, raider, or I'm going to make him an amazing like frontline combat unit uh, that like in the tactical battles is just going to tear tear stuff up. I really enjoyed having all those options and so many different ways to sort of min-max uh, the named units that, that, I was, that, I, that I had access to, uh, which uh, was a huge improvement, I thought, over Attila, which, which I thought uh, limited options with generals so severely that, that they kind of
2: stopped being fun. Yeah, the, the, the nice thing as well is that it actually makes um, agents now called heroes uh, um, a feature I like. And I've never really gelled with with agents in in total war games i kind of find them annoying um but now they're just given so much more purpose because they actually just like a general now a lord they can fight in the battles and be just as devastating as a lord they they get all the sort of cool things that lord does like special mounts and you can put uh talismans and uh, special weapons and armor on them um and, and yet, at the same time, you can just slot them in a province or um, have them go out assassinating and spying. So all the stuff that you used to be able to do with an agent, you can still do. But there's just so much more. And that kind of feels like w- with all of the new things that they've added, you are doing a lot more different things across the board in, in Total War Warhammer.
0: I had a couple reservations about the, the agents, uh, mainly just mainly just one. The AI, like, I constantly had issues where the AI would have one completely out of control, unstoppable agent who could basically do whatever <laughs> yeah. he wanted. And the reason the AI had that is because the AI has no attention tax, right? The AI can always do something with all its things at every turn without feeling like the game is slowing down or getting boring or anything like that. It can do that. I would occasionally forget to do much with my agents, right? I'd leave them parked in a province for a turn or two, or I'd have trouble finding them a good target for them to go and attempt to harass, stuff like that. But what I was encountering a lot in my games was that I had agents who were okay, like decent on the battlefield, maybe they'd be good, or they were useful for a couple supporting roles on the strategic map. Uh, but then, like, I would run into these AI agents who were just ridiculous. Like, there's this, there's this one goblin, who I swear was like level like level twelve or something, uh, and he was just running around and harassing armies and doing like massive damage, like. You know, you can have, like, raid, raid an army, and that's been a, an ability for, for a few Total War games now where an agent can uh, basically inflict some, some damage across an entire army. Uh, usually not very much. But, man, this goblin was, like... <laughs> this goblin was inflicting, like, 20% casualties on, on armies, like, every turn. And it was, like, unbelievably frustrating, and there was nothing I could do about it because he was so high-level that none of my, like, level 5, level 6, level 7 agents, none of them could do anything because the the goblin was, like, so much better. And there was no way to bridge that gap. So it just became this fact of life now that I had this, like, this, like, rabid goblin in my territory that I could never do anything about. It was just going to run around and, like, damage armies, damage settlements, and I was helpless to deal with it. And that was... I don't know, like, I know I probably could have prepared for that better by doing more with my own agents, but at the same time, like, it was a frustrating thing to have Crop up more than a couple times, right? Like, that was, it was just kind of obnoxious where there was no way to
1: catch up uh, to a character like this, and that was kind of frustrating. I had the same thing where I had two Chaos agents constantly attacking even when the Chaos Faction was mostly destroyed, they were still just running around, and they were like the same kind of thing. Both of them were high level. Both of them were attacking the defences and attacking my leaders and not knocking leaders out. And you are not leaders out of an army here, and the army's gone. So that's um, an expensive error. Yeah, so yeah, I think the agents were... I think the fact they can all do everything makes them slightly unbalanced. you never quite, I had like four different types of agents. I, I had Banshees, Necromancers, White Lords, and vampires and it's not clear if any of them are naturally suited to different things and basically the vampires it turns out are great at killing things and great at doing magic so you're kind of wondering what the other guys are for but it never really explains to you so yeah they were great in battle but not necessarily as easy to understand as they should have been and again they were ne- unnecessary a lot of the time you, as you said you could just ignore them and just carry on doing your campaign and that's what I did with those two chaos guys I was just like okay I can't kill you so I'm just going to destroy your faction and hope you go away.
2: The thing is, I, I felt it paid to just send them on things that that you don't think they would actually succeed on because they still get to level up because they level up really quickly because that's what the uh, the AI must be doing. They, the, from the beginning, they're just constantly sending them on missions regardless of the percentage or anything like that. Um, but I would get into the same position as both uh, you guys did, where I would be facing like really difficult. Uh, agents or, or heroes, rather, um, who'd obviously just leveled up a lot more. But it was because I just was forgetting that I even had them sometimes, because they were like in my army, maybe, or I just left them in one province to go and go about their business. Um, but I can—that's my fault, really. I think there maybe it would be nice to have um, a quick reminder every night. Again, are you going to do something with this guy? But yeah. really, that should also be something that I should be keeping tabs on, and there is a tab for your forces so you can see where they all are and what they're doing. I mean
0: ultimately like I think I I still really really like this game but I'm curious where you guys are coming down in terms of your your overall feelings toward it, right? Cuz I think you've you've both talked about the the feeling of it being a little bit sloggy, and I haven't done as much late game stuff because I ran around doing, um, like trying every faction and trying to get a sense of the, the differences between them. So I haven't had those, those phases where now everything's set up and sort of ticking along and now I just have to conquer a ton of territory. I still am very much in a, uh, you know, dog eat dog, uh, fight. um, for me, though, I, I think the, the flavor is enough that I'm still kind of in love with this game, despite my frustrations with its, um, with its strategic limitations. But you guys have gone down that road
2: a little bit more than I have, so I'm curious where you're at. No one wanting to go first. I'll do it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I am, um, and I, I said this to you, I think, um, the other night, Rob. I kind of feel like, I wonder how this game would feel if it was more like arena and i don't mean multiplayer um i just mean purely focused on the big battles because there's really i have Almost nothing bad to say about those those fights. They're they're so much fun, and I'm they're the reason I'm still playing the game. Um, even though my my review is done, and I will continue to play it. Um, and I'd like to see what the the chaos are like as well, because they are purely just about getting in fights. Um, there's no diplomacy for them or anything like that. Um. But I, I, I didn't gel as well with the, with the campaign. Um, there are a lot of really cool things because there are loads of new things in the campaign and all these, you know, like we, we talked about the, the vamps uh, resurrecting forces and stuff like that, which is really cool. But I just feel like there's so much time in the campaign where I'm just bored. I'm just bored because the enemy is only really coming and attacking me if they can see an empty city and they're not wanting to actually come and have an, a big Old scrap with my giant, you know, twenty stack army on this side and twenty stack army on the other. Um, they're just a bit even on hard, a bit too timid, um, and the and the diplomacy is so broken for me that it, it's always like lingering there, and I'm like, I could just win this game purely by just gaming this stupid system, and that frustrates me. Uh, and when I so when I think what is you know when was it that I was the happiest with this game? It's always when I'm in one of the battles. Um, And I would happily just stay there.
1: I think for me, it was more that I, again, the battles are great. Um, I've I've a little bit of problem with some of the larger units like the giants and the uh, terror guys and things like that, in that you don't have any fine control over them. You can't really do much with them apart from throw them at the enemy. It's very cool to have them there, but they really just kind of plow in and stand there and they win or they don't. Um, There's nothing tactical about those ones. But the battles otherwise, they, they look beautiful. The, the, the magic is sometimes spectacular. Um, and and the variety of units is ridiculous. And it, it could be bigger. Each of these armies has many more units on the tabletop game than they're available in the game. Um, but I'm sure we will see them all in DLC and expansion packs the <laughs> Um Yeah, the campaign for me, the beginning is... The tutorial whichever, on each fraction is a bit dull. Once you get through that, the early challenge and the progress and the way you're learning all the skills for each fraction is great. Then the mid-game comes along and you're like, OK, now I've just got to plough through all these provinces. And I'm kind of torn between ploughing through all these provinces and trying to win the game. And actually doing the quest lines, which are the stories are nicely told and the, the cutscenes are great and the actual battles on those quest lines, which you have to play, are more interesting than the other battles in the game. Uh, so I'm torn between doing that and... Actually, trying to win the campaign. A lot of the time, I'm just feeling like actually, I just want to play these quest battles. I'd rather go through the campaign and just sit there and let somebody else win. As long as I have got to level my guys
2: up and see all the cool shit. Really? So uh, you know, the the quest battles are actually in the main menu. They've taken place of the they've taken the place of the historic battles. And is that uh, if, which is you, nice? If,
1: can you play them if you've unlocked them, or is do you, do you I mean, do you have to unlock them all first? Or um,
2: oh, because I've only actually played them after, unlock, like after I've already done them in the campaign, so I'm not sure if you actually have to unlock them by doing that first, because um, I've only actually played ones I've already experienced in my main game, but they're there anyway, which is nice.
1: Yeah. So I like, I like those, and I like that, all those narrative elements they add to yeah. so Total Which you never had that, except maybe Napoleon. Um, but yeah, the, the, that mid-game trudge, or the, even the end-game trudge, once you've defeated Chaos... And once you've established yourself in the world, if no one's going to attack you, it just gets a bit samey. So I didn't do much with the with the quest battles because I think most of my games stayed early
0: enough that I only had access to a couple, which I didn't find terribly interesting. I found them to be sort of like the pre-rolled battles that you'd find in every Total War game. So I wasn't like totally high on it because that's never really been my thing. Uh, but, so, but
1: they become pretty worthwhile, you say? I think they have just different setups because once you've, I guess once you're 150 turns in and you've played so many battles with your faction and you've got your army and it's just, it's kicking everything that comes near it. To be put into a battle where uh, there's four enemy armies coming at you at once or there's an AI army fighting another AI army and you've got to choose when to intervene, it just mixes it up a little bit so it's it's more narratively interesting and if I, if you care about narrative like I do, then it's, it's more fun. But if you're looking for those kind of interesting last stand battles, like you've screwed up a bit and you've only got 10 units in an area, you've only got five units and the full stack's attacking you, and you've got to fight it on the battlefield because otherwise, you know, the auto-resolve will definitely lose it for you. That That's more interesting. Um, those are more tactically interesting. The, the actual quest battles aren't necessarily tactically interesting and narratively interesting, and they have, and because they're using different stuff that normal battles don't have.
2: They're like set piece battles and kind of special scenarios, but I think they're, they're, they are fun uh, and they, they do kind of break up the monotony of uh, some of the, the fights that you get in. Especially if you're in a, like a war with three other factions or something and you're just like battle after battle after battle in, in kind of vaguely the same place. Um, being able to go to an exotic location or some sort of underground cavern where dwarven gyrocopters are just trying to you know, burn you up. It's quite fun.
1: I've got to say, with with the necromancer ones, uh, there's Heinrich Kemler who's one of their faction leaders. Who I think I got to the end of his quest chain. I literally, he had to walk across the whole map. He, he was... Oh, is that where he has
2: to go to the Badlands?
1: He just uh, he goes to the Badlands. Uh, you have to send a banshee down to the Badlands. you have to send a, like another person <laughs> up to the north, and he just like, and he just has to trudge with a full stack army, taking attrition every turn. If you're not raiding, and if you're raiding, then you're pissing every other faction off. So it's just—it's a real commitment to go and get your those special magic items, which aren't that much better than the good magic items you can get elsewhere in the game from just drops. You get hundreds of magic items and followers. So you're not doing it for that. You're doing it because you want to go and see these fun battles and these okay. fun cutscenes. So the, the, the quests do add up to an actual storyline, though. Yeah.
2: Okay. yeah. yeah. Cool. So it's like a storyline, a fight, and then your special reward that yeah. isn't all that special.
0: Okay I definitely need to because I was ignoring a lot of that stuff and putting off doing it because I was so busy like just frantically trying to deal with uh enemy incursions and, and such. so I definitely need to to give that stuff uh more of a look. Um, real quick, Dan, did you say you you have played chaos?
1: Mm, I play I think I played a custom battle as them. Okay, but the faction hasn't unlocked for you. No, it hasn't unlocked. I played it at um, the Creative assembly's office like a couple of weeks ago. I uh, went along and played as Britonia, and I played as Chaos, and um, yeah, I mean they are just an army. I used on the tabletop game. Chaos is now three armies. Uh, what? Well, it's now in the age of Sigma. And it's a whole load of stupid things. But in the end of at the end of the uh, fantasy battles system, Chaos became three armies. They split them into beastmen, demons, and Chaos warriors. And basically, this is the Chaos warriors. And they're kind of like when they split them, they took away a lot of the interesting things. So they kind of chucked in, you've got dragon ogres, which are like half man, half ogre. Sorry, half right. ogre, half dragon. Um, and which are like the size of dragons. But really, all they are is just met lots of men in black armor looking a bit moody. Um <laughs> and that's it. That's chaos. And they just walk towards you. They've got one, they've got one artillery weapon, and they've got maybe one ranged unit, and then they've got magicians and wizards and monsters but they're pretty they're just not that as in as interesting compared
2: to the other factions they're not as interesting as the hun who is is basically what they are yeah. they're you know the hun of, of this game
1: they've even they've got kind of horse archer types but they the horse archers throw axes i think so they've got to get <laughs> much closer which means it's yeah They've they've got chaos warriors and chosen they're called which are basically heavily armoured ridiculously good in melee like as good as longbeards um and very rarely break you know they just the whole morale system doesn't really work for them so they've basically got some of the toughest units in the game and if you come up against a 20 stack chaos army you just you're pretty much in trouble unless you've got two stacks yourself to deal with them as the vampires anyway um but they do have some fun units, one of their lords is Colex Sun Eater, who's basically the biggest, oldest Dragon Ogre who's ever lived. And he's the size of a giant. Um, And he just has a hammer that's as tall as he is. And it's just like, seeing him running into the enemy battle line is quite something. Um, Problem is, he's much faster than the rest of your army, so he tends to die if you do that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, Chaos are fun. But um, the horde system they have is basically, they go along... Uh, you must have seen this as well, Fraser. They go, they go along in the, the north of the com- of the, the map, and they just attack a town, destroy it. That lets them camp up and get some more units. And but when they destroy it, they kind of raise some sort of portal over its ruins, yeah. which
2: corrupts the area even more. And then they just kind of thrive off this corruption and keep going. And it's funny when you're playing as vampires, isn't it? Because you've got like you're trying to corrupt the land, and they're trying to corrupt the land, but it's slightly different corruption. So. Yeah, yeah, you're
1: like, that's <laughs> not my kind of corruption. What's all this corruption? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So they're 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 different, but I'm not sure. I, I can see why they made them the fifth faction, which you unlock as DLC. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm hoping I'm hoping some some more factions come along. Like Britannia gets a full. Uh, gets the full treatment, but at the same time, like I, I do wonder now, based on everything you've said, whether or not like unlocking more factions will really address the uh,
2: the mid to late game issues that, that you guys have identified. Um, if they add new factions in, I think it would have to be with um, a kind of new campaign. Yeah,
1: that's what they're planning on doing, isn't it? So they're going to be yeah. doing two more full games. Is a ten year plan, including all the DLC. Um, but yeah like it's going Is to be 10 years of Total Warhammer
0: <laughs> apparently yes that's, it, that's... That's, uh, <laughs> that's ambitious but I, I, need, I need a 10 month plan to make this game <laughs> I, need, I, need, I, I need things to evolve with
2: this game a little faster than that I think interesting but I think they'll, they'll open up new areas off the map I yeah. think with different sort of campaigns because it can't always be like unite your race against chaos right. for 10 years um, and because I think that's proved to actually be a bit of a one-trick pony. Really, it was fun the first time, but it's it's not got anything like the dynamism of the of the Huns uh, sweeping across Europe.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, so like I think my ultimate frustration, and I'm gonna put more time into the game because I really wanna I really wanna pen down exactly what I think about the way the strategic layer plays out. But I think sort of the frustration that boiled over for me a little bit as as I played this game was that. Sometimes it feels like there is such a game of whack a mole being played with total war on a design level. Like, here, like, when it, like, for instance, I think this game solves the problem of making battles not feel meaningful uh, by pinning so many things to the outcome of battles. Like, in the early game, your economy can't really sustain huge numbers of troops, so you want to keep your forces pretty well together. So you want to get good victories and not close victories or pirate victories. So you have an incentive to play battles that in the past you might have just auto-resolved because the consequences for taking casualties weren't that great. So they, so they have succeeded in, in giving me more reasons to play these battles. And the battles themselves are more fun. And actually, I think the, the tactical AI does a decent job of piloting its troops effectively into battle. It's not going to stun you with its strategic, its tactical brilliance, but uh, it's, it's a perfectly fair opponent. Um, but so they, they've kind of solved the issue where tactical battles would stop feeling meaningful, but they did that in part by, I think, kind of crippling your ability to build a powerful empire. And now it seems like, uh, and I'm coming around to your, your way of thinking on this, Fraser, now it seems like your economy is really more dependent, uh, I guess in part on battles again, uh, by your ability to sack other uh, territories or extort money from uh, other factions via diplomacy. But the frustrating thing here is on the heels of Attila, uh, and particularly, I think, Age of Charlemagne, which which I thought had some pretty interesting strategic layer elements as well that reminded me a bit of a paradox game at times. Um, I was hoping to see that foundation sort of built on here. Uh, and I don't, th- there's like no trace of it. Right. So it, it, it feel it, it, this series sort of feels like, like for every like hole in the boat, they plug, they start letting water come in another one. And, and the problem is you keep I, I keep, I keep identifying different games where they've solved aspects of these problems. But there's yet to be a game where I think they've really sort of brought it all together and made the total war game that that I think is that I think is out there that I think can be done. I think they've they've they in their various games, their various expansions, they have found solutions for a lot of this stuff. But it's all in these disparate pieces across the series since uh, since Shogun Two, uh, basically. And I'm, I was kind of hoping Total Warhammer would combine that exciting tactical layer and all that like thematic flavor with some of the strategic uh, sophistication that you were starting to see in Attila and Age of Charlemagne. And instead, it feels like they just kind of stripped a lot of the wiring out of, these, out of the strategy game and just amped up the importance of the the
1: tactical layer, which... Well, at least the tactical layer works now. At least yeah. Sieges work. At least they got rid of boats, so they don't have to worry about that Oh, anymore. thank God. <laughs> um, cause, uh, the, the, the landing sequences on boats just and it gives me nightmares still. Um, yeah, I, I mean, all a lot of the things that we used to complain about, I remember the, the, the terrible AI stack problems in Attila when it first came out, where the AI would all flock to one place on the battle map, on the campaign map, yeah. but just... Those things aren't in here. They've, they've, they've released a version of the game, which mostly seems to be bug-free. Yes. Uh, so I'm happy that they've plugged so many holes. I'm happy that they've done the things that we've complained about. They, they've fixed a lot of the things we complained about. I, you know, it just so happens that now that they've fixed all this stuff, I'm looking at it and I'm finding other things to complain about because I'm a money git. But that's, um, that's what critics are for, I guess.
0: <laughs> and to be fair, like, Age of Charlemagne, probably that team had nothing to do with this game because it was just too recent.
2: Yeah, I think they were being developed concurrently, weren't they? Yeah.
0: Um, so hopefully maybe as that expansion team, because I do feel like I, I feel like the pattern now with with the Total War games in general is that there's uh there's some there's some teams who work on expansions that are actually really creative and do a great job of sort of evolving total war games beyond what you initially thought possible. So I'm hoping we see that happen here uh but that that's sad like i'm still i'm still having a blast now, you know unusually like a lot of people are asking me this week like should they play this game uh you usually people just want to know what we think but I, the the purchasing decisions already been made uh so i guess you know for me i would say like if you're in either of these series, either of these universes, I think this is by and large a winner. And I and I, I think at the very least, I'm enjoying the hell out of the first like six, seven hours out of every campaign. And it's for me, that's for me that's kind of worth it. I'm I'm happy to take this ride. Uh so I, I think I give it a recommendation unless you're really demanding a great strategy game. Uh in which case I don't think you'll find it here. Uh but if you're willing to compromise on that, I think this is a terrific option. Uh, Dan
2: Fraser, where are you? I think it's, it's good on the cusp of being great. Um, I, you know, I really hope that with the, the DLC comes new campaigns because I'm definitely done with this one. Um, but I'm not done with the battles, uh, so I'm still thoroughly enjoying them. So yeah, I, I would recommend it as well if, again, you like both of these, uh, these franchises. Um, I still think that Attila is the better Total War game. Uh, but I think there's just something just fantastic about being able to to control these gargantuan uh, Warhammer armies, and and there's no other game that really does what this is doing. So yeah, definitely a recommendation for me. But uh, you know, just be aware that the the campaign is not as good as as Attila's perhaps. I
1: guess for me, uh, for Total War fans, it changes so much stuff. It adds so many interesting things in, like the, the giant units. I mean, the flying, the magic, the quest battles, the magic items, the way the heroes work. There's so much new stuff in there. It's really exciting. Uh, so I definitely recommend it for them. For Warhammer fans, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of good Warhammer games that have come out recently. There's like Blood Bowl Two, Battlefleet Gothic Armada. Uh, and this it's just there's a lot of stuff for them to get their teeth into but this is the one the real one that goes if you're not a 40k fan if you're a fantasy battles fan this is the one you go okay yep yeah, this is this is gonna give you an experience of what it's like to be in that universe which you have never had before they, I mean to, Warhammer players fight the battles they don't get to see the whole world which this gives them they don't get to see the interactions of the factions so Creative Assembly had to make all this stuff up they had to make it all work That's and they did point. so I'm I'm impressed and I think yeah I think both it's recommended for both those groups of fans. I think the Warhammer fans are going to have more trouble understanding an awful lot of stuff. There's so much stuff in the game, like public order, or morale, yeah. or of
0: Magic, or... And they even stripped a lot of stuff out uh, and simplified, which I think were good decisions. Like, I don't miss uh, group formations at all, because uh, I always thought that stuff was a bit crap anyway. Um, I always sort of micromanaged, and it gets rid of that. I think they made some good decisions about places to simplify. Um, yeah. So I think that will do it for our discussion of Total War Warhammer. Uh, we will probably check in on again as hopefully the game changes and evolves in interesting ways uh, a bit like Attila did. Uh, fingers crossed that this will be a game that we will have cause to circle back and uh, discuss once again. Uh, Dan Fraser, thank you so much for spending part of your Sunday uh, chatting with me. Thank you. As always, this episode of Three Moves Ahead was produced by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, you can learn more about the show or discuss this episode on our forums with our community at idlethumbs.net or at threemovesahead.net. Uh, and as always, this episode was supported by our listeners on Patreon. Uh, and you can learn more about the Three Moves Ahead Patreon at patreon.com 3MA. Until next week... Uh, For Dan Griliopoulos, Fraser Brown, and Michael Hermes, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.